Hello, do you have an addiction and not sure why? Well, come along and listen to the show today as I talk with Loretta Bruning of The Happy Brain. We'll find out what makes an addiction an addiction, and we'll also find out more about her and about what she does. So sit back, relax, and grab your favorite beverage, and I'll catch you on the other side. See you there. Welcome to another edition of Inside the Asperger Studios Presents Stories. Today on the show, I'm joined with Loretta Bruning of The Happy Brain. Welcome to the show, Loretta. Hi, thanks for having me. Not a problem. Let's start out with some simple questions that you have probably an answer to. Let's start off with like, what makes someone addicted to their screen, their phone, their tablet, or their computer even? Okay. Um, so... Did I? Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, The way I explain it in all of my books. So we're all born with billions of neurons, but they're not connected. And that's why it takes a human baby so long to function as opposed to animals that function a few days after birth. So our brain is very big, but it's we're not wired at birth. We build our wiring from experience. So how do we build our wiring? It's whatever is rewarding mm-hmm. connects neurons. That's how like that's how a monkey learns to find food because the food tastes good. The monkey repeats the behavior that got okay. the food. So we're designed to repeat any behavior that triggers a good feeling. So anything that makes us feel good, neurons connect and we want to repeat that behavior, but we're not even necessarily consciously aware that we're thinking this because the neurons connected and that makes us flow so easily into that behavior that we're not consciously aware of choosing it with our verbal brain. So is that why a runner runs most of the time? It's because they get that happy feeling of that serotonin and the dopamine, and it just registers and they just keep doing it and, and they're not aware of it. Yes. So everyone has what I call happy mm-hmm. habits. So in my book, Habits of a Happy Brain, I talk about happy habits. It's the way our brain works. So we need to have happy habits. So instead of being against them, we have to use them intelligently. And that means uh, instead of overusing one happy Mm -hmm. habit, like if you like to run, you could overuse Mm. it. If you like brownies, you can eat too many brownies, whatever it is you do. So if you like your screen, that could be useful. But if you overdo one happy habit, then you're going to have some consequences. People wind up overindulging in their habits and then it becomes an addiction because they're not aware of it. And it's just something that's repeated. Yes. And part of this all is as we seek positive feelings, we also run from negative feelings. And again, this is natural, normal. It's the way our brain is designed to work. When a gazelle smells a predator, Mm -hmm. it runs. And with our big brain, 
we can be smelling predators all the time, <laughs> you know? Um, so that's a different book I wrote called Tame Your Anxiety. So what happens when you get this whiff of threat? Anything that made you feel threatened mm-hmm. in the past. Instead of physically running, you rush into whatever behavior gave you a sense of relief in your past. And then you rush into that. And that's why so many people are feeling like I have to do this thing because otherwise I'm going to have a bad feeling. But the loop happens so fast that you're not consciously saying that to yourself in words. All right. Very interesting. Now, another question I have is why do we laugh at others' misfortunes? Okay. So uh, when you say we laugh at others' misfortunes, you know, not everyone, we don't do it all the time. But yes, it's a common behavior uh, because what I explain in all of my books is mammals are actually very competitive and mammals have social hierarchies in their herds and packs okay. and troops. And we've inherited a brain that always wants to be in the one-up position. And our brain actually rewards you with a good <laughs> feeling when you get the one-up position yourself. So when you laugh at someone else, you're relieving your one-down oh. feeling and you're giving yourself the one-up position. And who do you laugh at? You laugh at someone who you thought was higher than you, and that puts them down and puts you up. And I have a new book about this. It's called Status Games, Why We Play and How to Stop. Interesting. I mean, it is very interesting. I mean, I've never thought about it as the one up, one down philosophy is we always laugh at somebody who's who to make us feel better than them because of their misfortune. But in, in retrospect, I mean, we don't think about it. It's almost a natural reaction. Am I right? Yes, exactly. And once again, all of this is wired from early experience. So you may be laughing at X and someone else is laughing at Y because that's the way you learned when you were young to lift yourself up. And we're always choosing who we compare ourselves to. And that's what animals and that's what monkeys are constantly doing. A lot has been um, researched about that, but you don't hear about it because it's so uncomfortable and it violates sort of this progressive mindset of who the good guys are and who the bad guys are, because in fact, everybody does. It. Yeah. Anyway, let's get to little, let's get to know a little bit more about yourself. Where did you grow up? I grew up in New York. All right. What motivates you, inspires you and drives you? Um, well, I'm quite old now, I have to say. <laughs> and so um, I, using my time very carefully, uh, I have had the good fortune of seeing the world, have my retirement income. So now the only thing left for me, uh, other than seeing my grandchildren, although that I don't really have control over, um, is um, getting to say Mm -hmm. the truth because, you know, so often you can't say things. And so that's really what inspires me. It's like, wow, I'm going to, I'm going to say this, like uh, people with a boss and a job and a mortgage can't say this, but I can say. What is the biggest compliment you've ever gotten? Oh, thank you. Um, Well, a lot of, Nice readers write to me and they tell me that 
My books have changed their life and changed their thinking. And they tell me that every minute of every day, they're seeing the world through the lens of what they read read in my books. And I appreciate that so much because that's, that's what I'm doing too. It's like, I see the world through this lens and now I have someone to share that. What's your biggest failure and what have you learned from that experience? Well, I should say that um, I was fired on my first job. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I was 16 years old and I worked at a dry cleaners. And after three weeks, I got fired because I was constantly putting things in the wrong place. So people would show up before their wedding or their bar mitzvah and look for their special suit or dress and it wasn't there and everybody panicked. And it always traced back to some like the shift that I was on, you know, and I had no idea that I was doing this. And I after three weeks on the job, I just walked in one day and got fired. Um, And it really taught me a very valuable lesson because I was not paying attention to detail Mm. because I thought, oh, this is a dumb job. And I was only doing with half my brain. I did not like double check. You know, they tell you in school, double check your work. I didn't double check because I thought it was dumb, you know, and I could have bankrupted this dry cleaners because of all the mistakes I made. So that taught me a lesson. Tell me about three influential people in your life and how they impacted you. Okay, so um, David Attenborough is the one I always talk about. He does the nature Mm -hmm. videos that have been popular for many years. And if people don't know his name, they surely know his voice, because whenever you see like a lion and a gazelle, like it's this British guy, always hear his voice with it. So I thought he was just a talking head. And then I looked him up and I found his autobiography, which is this thick. He actually created this whole field of nature videos. I couldn't believe it. So, so much of my knowledge came from that. And I was shocked that in all the study of psychology I did, that they never told you the facts about the social interactions of monkeys that were so obvious from him and from biology. So that was a big thing for me. So that's fun. Um, so another one, I'll I'll um, I'll use my husband. I always use him in my um, in, in my talks. Um, so he's often, you know, the person that teaches you by contrast <laughs> or something. Um, so I've learned a lot from him, but not always by wanting to do what he does, but just like as a frame of reference. And let me just say. He's so I've always lived in academic world and academics don't acknowledge their feelings. So they always pretend that whatever is their verbal public relations Mm -hmm. announcement that they're saying to themselves, that that's really their motivation. So my husband is like a pure scientist and he thinks that he's always being 100 percent rational. So I think on some level that always I thought like, wow, he really is not even believing like like he really believes his own 
PR, you know? So that always motivated me to look deeper. Like how could the verbal brain and the mammal brain not be talking to each other, Mm -hmm. you know? So that's that, you know? So um, other influence, um, I guess I want to give credit to my osteopath (laughs) Um, in the sense that um, uh, I have um, always had um, scoliosis and very tight muscles and like constricted breathing from like clenched um, breathing muscles. And she has helped me relax those muscles. And once again, it's like the, the way your physical body and your verbal brain are like two separate things going on. And it's really hard to access your nonverbal brain. And instead of beating yourself up about it, to just understand that that's the body we've inherited and accept self-acceptance is what I'm trying to say. What makes you feel inspired or like your best self? You know, I'll tell you something. Um, I mean, frankly, I don't drink a lot of coffee. And then after I have a cup of coffee and like I notice like, wow, I feel good. And it's like, oh, no wonder coffee is popular. (laughs) But then I know that if I drink coffee all the time, then it won't have that effect. So I save it. And once again, then when I have a cup of coffee and I feel good, then I know that it's an illusion that it's from the coffee. But then you could say that when I'm not having coffee, the bad feeling could be an illusion. So then that tells me how much of our inner dialogue is an illusion. And that that gives me more motivation to control. Finish the sentence. I am at my best when. I am at my best when I wake up in the morning. So I, um, I really believe in sleep (laughs) and, um, whenever I have something hard to do or uncomfortable, I do it first thing in the morning because I've learned that if I try to do it later in the day, when I have less energy, then I get upset and frustrated. And if I do it first thing in the morning, then I have a sense of accomplishment that then helps me feel better about other things. But I also say I have to say that um, I do my writing first thing in the morning. So um, first I write and then I stop writing and then I do any yucky stuff that I need to do. If you can turn back time and talk to your 18 year old self, what would you tell her about where you are now in life? About I'm sorry, about about where you are now now in life, where I am, where I am now in life. Oh, oh, well, I would say that I have a boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sometimes I joke and I call my husband my boyfriend. Um, He feels like my boyfriend because I didn't meet him till I was 45. So um, took me long enough. I I had a, you know, an earlier marriage. Um, So now I've been with him for 20, 23 years, but I still try to think of him as my boyfriend and um, uh, 
And, oh, I, I mean, similarly, when I was young, I liked mm-hmm. to write and I never got any readers till I turned like wow. 60. So, yeah. So good thing I didn't hold my breath. Um, if you can have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? Oh, okay. Take responsibility for your feelings. Uh, why? Okay. I guess because I feel like I'm always surrounded by people who are trying to blame their feelings on others. You know, the very mm-hmm. common, like, you made me mad. You made me do that. You you hurt my feelings. So I grew up with a lot of that going on around me. And so I guess that's why my billboard would say that. Yeah, I mean, I truly believe in that. I mean, everyone should take should take responsibility for their feelings. I mean, you're in charge of how you feel. It's not the other way around. Yes, but there's so much support for the other yeah. you, you know, that whenever you're upset, it's somebody else's fault for doing it to you. Anyways. What do you think the world would look like in five years from now? So I have this theory, which is not what you hear from anyone else, that humans are pretty much, you know, this this brain we've inherited is pretty consistent, like I mentioned about Mm -hmm. monkeys. So the junk that goes on has been so similar always. But the news always tries to give you this feeling that today is the turning point in history and everything's going to be totally different because they're trying to sell something. They're trying to get you to watch, you know, like, oh, everything's going to is about to change. And people are trying to get your investment money by, you know, predicting changes. So um, when you really study history, you know, you say, oh, yeah, that was going on back then, too. So so that's why I think it won't be tremendously different, except that we are all, frankly, like closer to mm-hmm. death. And I think that's really what's bothering us. And it's not the government's fault that we're all going to die. You know, it's not corporations fault that we're all going to die. I guess if I had a second billboard, you know, it's like you're going to die. It's nobody's fault. <laughs> and so just make the most of your life. I mean, I know, I think the issue is a lot of people just can't accept fate. They know they're going to die and and it's they're afraid of it. You'll have you got half who are willing to accept it and then half who are like I don't want to accept it. I want to keep living. But the issue is you keep living everyone else you love is gone. What's there to live for? Mm, yeah. 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 Well, so here's the thing. It's it's natural to fear death because um, animals do not have the big cortex that we have. So animals only focus on physical reality. They can't process abstractions and death is an abstraction. So animals don't know they're going to die. It's sort of like children don't really understand death. And then someday you you get us like, oh, my God, wow, that's horrible. And you try not to think about it because that's the best you can do. So all through human history, people have had strategies for managing that mm-hmm. fear of death. And most of the strategies that were popular in the past, which, 
you know, um, are not so popular today. And so that's why we're struggling to deal with this. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are just scared of death. I mean, what's funny is when I lost my father in 2017, I mean, we all thought that everyone, when we're kids, we think our parents are invincible. And then the minute we lose one, it's like reality just gets shattered. And it's like our parents aren't this invincible force. They're not going to live forever. And it makes you the older generation. And it's this like... (laughs) Yeah. Now, my reality gets shattered, and it's just like now I have a, this whole new look on life. It's like life changes, and you just gotta learn to accept it. Yeah. So here's a, a interesting way to think about it. Um, I talk about the happy chemicals in my my main book, Habits of a Happy Brain. So dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, and endorphin. So oxytocin is really the feeling that you're protected. And it's natural to want to be protected. And we talked about like when a gazelle is chased by a predator, it runs to the herd for protection. So when a gazelle is born, it's protected by its parent, but the parent is going to die someday. So every gazelle loses its mother, doesn't know who its father is. (laughs) Um, So then you lose that protection. So every gazelle transfers that sense of protection from its mother to its Mm. herd. But we humans, we don't want to be herd animals. We don't want to follow the herd every minute, but we do want protection because we've inherited a brain that looks for that. So how do we feel protection is with neural pathways built from our past experience. So in your case, your father gave you a sense of protection when you were young, which is nice because Um, other people didn't feel protected by their father. But the bottom line is when you lose that, then you have to build new ways to feel protected, but it's hard to build new neural pathways in adulthood. Is that why people get addicted to like the drug oxytocin because of that feeling? Um, When you say addicted to the drug oxytocin, I don't, I'm not sure what you mean. Are you, because uh, Oxycontin is a right. similar word, but it's right. completely let me, different. No, let me, is that, no, is that why yeah. runners get addicted to a runner high? Uh, okay. Okay. So runner's high is a drug endorphin, which chemically is the same as yeah. Oxycontin. Oxytocin is different and um, it's triggered by social, social mm-hmm. support. So you could say um, a person who is addicted to getting likes would be one way of getting it. A person who is frankly addicted to porn or sex addiction is another way of getting it. Um, The drug ecstasy is alleged. And I try to minimize, you know, I don't want to be advocating that at all. So um, and then a person who is like this cliche about a people pleaser um, is another. All right. Um, what was your favorite subject in high school or in school in general? Um, uh, art and French. Um, and, uh, I don't, I think 
I like studying French because I, I think about it as like the Disneyland mm-hmm. in my mind that you had this French textbook and there's this other place, you know, there was always pictures of France. And so in my mind, like France was like the happy place where everybody's happy all the time. <laughs> and I think we all, when we're young, we want that illusion that there's this happy place. And if I can only get there, I'll be happy all the time. <laughs> and so I actually, that was like the whole focus in my teen years. I saved money. I got myself a trip to France and you could probably guess the end of this story is um, then I, <laughs> it didn't make me happy. It didn't make me unhappy, but, um, but I sort of became a travel addict. So, because that, what we repeat, whatever we do when we were young. So then I put, always put all my energy into working hard to save money for my next trip. So that was my addiction. All right. Would you consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert? Um, I actually consider myself an introvert. Um, by the the formal definition that I've read, which is what do you like to what do you look for with your free time? What what makes you feel relaxed? And and the reason for that, um, I grew up around a lot of drama. (laughs) And so, yeah, so I just wanted to be alone. And when I'm with people, I feel this pressure that um, I have to um accommodate mm. and that feels like work to me whereas i know there are people who enjoy it but i don't <laughs> if you could be remembered for one thing what would it be and why what would it be and why well i created this thing called the inner mammal institute and that's what i would like to be um remembered for inner institute.org it's a website with all of my books and a lot of free resources and explains this whole way that our inner mammal works and how we can find our power over our mammalian brain chemicals. All right. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit more about you? I mean, how you got into studying the brain. Great. Thanks. Um, uh, very um, unusual, I guess, in the sense that I was a college professor for 25 years in a completely different subject. Um, However, I always studied psychology my whole life and read psychology books and listened to audio books. And I feel that because psychology was not my profession, that I had the freedom to sample and to pick and choose and to learn and connect the dots and, and whereas if psychology was my job, I'd be forced to repeat the theories of one group or another group in order to maintain my my credential or my profession. And I think that's how I ended up with um, a different theory, a different perspective that uses science, but doesn't lead to the same conclusions as other people. All right. Now we get to the part of the show where we ask you some general questions. What is your favorite word? What is my favorite word? Um, um, Enough. What is your least favorite word? Drama. What turns you on creatively, <laughs> spiritually, and emotionally? 
Um, I, I, I feel like I want to say variety. Like I never like, there's not like one thing that I always like to go back to, but I like to discover something new. Right. What turns you off? What turns me off? Um, listening to other people's <laughs> drama. <laughs> As I've said. What is your favorite cuss word? My favorite cuss word. Oh, um, well, I, um, my ancestors were Italian and they, um, they had this belief in the evil eye, malocchio. And when they would say malocchio, like they literally believed, like if your kid got sick, it's because like the neighbors were jealous of you and put the evil eye on your kid. So, so I always find that very funny. Right. What sound or noise do you love? What sound or noise do you love? Um, sound. Um, hmm. Well, I have to say that my husband plays the mm -hmm. piano and he improvises, which means he could sit at the piano and just make stuff up. But he's very shy. He can't do it when other people wow. are listening. So he does it in the basement. So like much of my life is spent hearing him do it from the basement. <laughs> <laughs> so that's like my background music. And, and I, I like what that. What sound or noise do you hate? What can I say other people arguing? <laughs> What's your favorite color? What's your Orange. least favorite color? Mm, gray. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Would I like to attempt? Oh, oh, I know. I remember I recently said if I were starting over today, um, hmm, why can't I? Well, I'll, I'll have All to right. come back to that. What profession would you not like to do? Oh, you know what? I would really not like to be a therapist, no. <laughs> um, but I do give them credit, you know, but I would. Not right. like if that. heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? You know, I have to first I have to say that um, that why I couldn't think of the profession I'd like to try. So I have been through so many careers in my life. You can't believe it. So I think that's why I um, this like I don't have the energy to try anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um so what would I like to hear in the pearly gates? Um, you could eat all the ice cream you want without gaining weight. <laughs> when you arrive in heaven, who would you like to meet? Oh, I can't say David Attenborough because he's still alive. But since he's 95, um, it's a safe bet. So um, I would like to say David Attenborough that someday... We'll both be right. there. <laughs> what books do you recommend my audience read? Uh, well, if I may humbly, um, 
yes, request that they read my book. So my introductory book is called Habits of a Happy Brain, Retrain Your Brain to Boost Your Serotonin, Dopamine, Oxytocin, and Endorphin Levels. And I recently wrote a workbook to go with it, which is uh, sort of a simplified version with less science and more step-by-step support. And that's called 14 Days to Sustainable Happiness. And as far as other people's books, I have a, um, a reading list on my website of books about monkey studies that were very influential to me. And it's at um, intermammalinstitute.org slash reading right. list. And finally, where can people find you on the web? Intermammalinstitute.org. And that's it. Loretta Bruning, thank you so much for coming on the show. Sure. Thanks so much for Not having problem. me. Don't need no million to have a have a good time All that you need is some fun to have a good